We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 368 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and joining me to talk all things Chelsea is Dan Domer from the London is Blue Podcast, also on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, by the way. So with the news today about the race for Rafinha, there was a meeting yesterday we'll get to, but I'm really grateful that Dan found the time to talk to me again today. Uh, well, not even again, but that is the London is Blue Podcast. This is the second time, but it was Nick now. Dan now, how's it going, Dan? It's going great, you know, and hopefully like uh, Bully and uh, Laporta, we can uh, just end this podcast by saying it was a good podcast and we talked about some things and maybe we agree <laughs> to something. I don't know, but that would all be great. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously going to need a translator as well, like they did in the meeting yesterday. So that's your joke, not mine, Dan. I want to give you credit for that. But the real reason that you are here, other than Alonzo and Esplaqueta and Laporta and Bowley and all that stuff, is Andres Christensen is actually an FC Barcelona player. He was presented on a free transfer, has been presented at the Camp Nou already, so he will be a part of Barcelona squad next season. And I think there are a lot of questions about him coming in, more so than just being with the other center backs that Barca have been linked to, but it was Koulibaly, who's also been linked with Chelsea, which is going to be a theme as we go along with this. But all those other center backs that have been linked with Barcelona, it seems like they're much more understood commodities than the 26-year-old right-footed center back. And at 26, in his prime, you'd think that we know exactly who he would be. But instead of asking about Chelsea, I actually want to go talk about the Euros first, because I think a lot of Barcelona fans, myself included, the most that I truly watched him or was paying attention to him as the main protagonist along the back line was obviously for the Danish national team, where he has got to be one of their guys. So they made it all the way to semifinals in the last Euros. And my question then for you would be, was that the best version that we saw of Christensen? And if so, why so do you think he was at his best with the, the Euro? And it could be as easy as a knockout competition. It's just nonsense. And <laughs> you get your best out of a guy for four matches. Well, with the Euro reign of the Danish national team, obviously there was a, a flashpoint moment for that team that kind of changed the way that they rallied. And I think everybody got a little bit of extra superpower from that moment that there was a, a bit of a rallying cry around uh, the Ericsson kind of incident. And obviously he's kind of recovered and, and moved into this great kind of space and has refound his form in the Premier League. But we saw a Christensen scoring a goal and celebrating it, which at the time had not been something that he had done as a senior player for Chelsea over her multiple, multiple seasons. And he definitely was in his element 
in that in that team and in that side. And so I think he does have a bit of a natural fit in there. Obviously, it's helpful when you know you can add a goal to your contribution as well. But in general, that team seems set up, got a little bit of extra oomph from the rallying cry or the moment that they were all able to coalesce around. And I think that maybe gave him and every player on that team a little bit of extra shine for that moment. Yeah, the way I keep explaining, I mean, even with the Euros, is I feel to me that I don't want to use the word elite, but he feels like an average elite center back, if that makes any sense, where he's a top caliber center back, but he's an average one of one of those, where he doesn't just stand out as a name that you mentioned. And looking back to his career resume, he began his career with Brondby in, in his native Denmark before being courted by Chelsea, joins up with their, I believe it was the U18s or maybe the U19s, but I know he definitely played at the UEFA Youth League. That's the first time I ever saw him was with Chelsea's U19s, if you will, at the UEFA Youth League. So they win that competition. Then his appearances for Chelsea's first team, hard to come by, of course. He was 18 years old at the time. So he headed out to Borussia Gladbach for two years where he did just fine. And uh, Gladbach was arguably, they had some of their better years when he was floating around at the back. He earned his minutes there. After impressing there, he returned back to London, made over 150 appearances for Chelsea under four different managers as well, and impressed under four different managers. So to me, it just seems like he's always played at a high enough level to get minutes, at a high enough level to be part of rotations. He's always earned his minutes and earned his rotation spot. But again, he's never been the A guy. He's never been the guy. But it seems like he just played in really hard teams to break through at, and he's broken through every time. And I seem, I think that's where the calm seems to come from my end. The other element I would kind of tee into on the Globbach loan, it was interesting. That was obviously during the same period that Chelsea was going on the loan army of how do we get to 30? How do we get to 35? How do we have 100 players out on loan? And how do you keep tabs on all of them? And he was one of the ones I think a lot of Chelsea supporters pointed to as an example of this is what identifying a successful loan spell is. It was a two-year loan on the outset, or I think maybe an 18-month loan on the outset, and was agreed upon to give him that opportunity to go out and excel, learn, settle into a side. And he did just that. He not only played kind of in the, the back line, but he also played the defensive mid-roll occasionally for Gladbach as well. So he kind of showed some of that positional versatility that he has been able to bring and kind of showcase in his game. Even in the Danish national team, he's played in that defensive mid-roll. He hasn't always featured in their back line. And so that is something that if you think about what are we getting in terms of a player as a Barcelona fan, having someone who can flex around in multiple positions can sometimes be a really great thing. I think obviously Barcelona probably has uh, more midfielders than maybe you need at certain points. I don't know if it's that attractive. (laughs) I don't know. What I will say is this is a safe space. Yes. But Sergio Busquets, the idea of Christensen potentially taking minutes as a backup defensive midfielder is I just I promise like this is not a safe place for that kind of talk. Just, I, I, just, I don't think that that's ideally where Doesn't Busquets I mean, need like a game off every now and then, though. Like, I mean, if you, you know, in yeah, a pinch, I mean, if you want to give him rotational. Yeah, <laughs> he, plays, he plays more minutes than everyone, which, again, is the problem. So listen, the best case scenario that, that I'm just setting up my listeners for the best case scenario coming from you is that if Christensen is able to give. I mean, even this is, again, only a Frankie Young is, is sold to Manchester United. But if 
Christensen is able to give three or four games, you know, Copa del Rey rotations, whatever it may be, you know, no offense to the fourth team, if you will, in a Champions League group, but whatever that fourth team may be, if he can give minutes at defensive midfield, that I think Barcelona fans would be over the moon, overjoyed at that prospect. So I'm just setting people up for failure that, that you might not see that. But where you might see Christensen would be my, my next question, where it seems like Xavi with the free transfers of Kessier and Christensen, you know, and, and the idea that Sergio Des is always potentially going to be sold, which again, doesn't make sense to me. That's a story for another time, but it seems like Xavi is leaning into what he said that he was going to do from El Saad and wanted to do at Barcelona is a three, four, three. Now, Chelsea, I know under these different managers, they've played four at the back, they played three at the back and being a right-footed center back. It also brings up the question if Barca with Araujo being right-footed with Eric Garcia being right-footed, but be able to play on the left. PK is right-footed. Christensen is right-footed. It sounds like your top four <laughs> center backs are all right-footed and you're going to play three at the back. So if you're a Barcelona fan, do you think you would get the best out of Christensen with Xavi employing three at the back and then him in any of those spots or potentially not on the left and only on the right? Or should it be to get the best out of him, just a flat back four with him as a right center back? He has always looked his best for Chelsea in a back three. And Look, we have been the beneficiaries of having some really good center backs over even the past 10 to 15 or 20 years. And, you know, it, it took a a 37-year-old free transfer of Thiago Silva coming into Chelsea to say, hey, we're going to actually not play Christians in the majority of minutes uh, over the past two seasons. And so, like, when you kind of look at, like, where he was, you know, in 17, 18, 18, 19, you know, it was 3,100 minutes, 2,400 minutes. Like, he really hasn't catapulted into what Rudiger did last season for us, where he was playing every single minute of every single match. And, you know, part of that is uh, rotation. Part of it is, you know, having great players who maybe, you know, to your point, you know, if you have elite center backs and you have an average elite center back, maybe they don't start every match. Maybe the person who's rotating or refreshing for others. I, my concern for him in a back three is not that he isn't capable or of reading the game or intelligent enough to kind of pick up the situation. He's a very calm player. And, and I think from like the way he carries himself, he never looks particularly fussed. If someone is coming, bearing down on him, if he needs to close down on anybody, it's all very smooth in the way that he approaches it. But I, I think my concern is that he's not, he's not very progressive in the way that he kind of attacks the game. And so if you're looking for someone particularly like in the center of a back three where I think he does find maybe the most joy in kind of distributing and kind of being the person who gets the, the tempo going probably doesn't give you the same type of Hollywood passes that you might enjoy from another kind of defender. And so I think that's something that maybe, yes, he can excel there. He can perform well in a back three, but he also maybe isn't going to be as exciting as a center back uh, has been, or other center backs have been in that role. And that might be something where, you might look at his style of play and not be overly enthused as you watch it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Well, I definitely find the parallels between with Tiago Silva, his role for Chelsea, I think very much mirrors the role that Gerard Piquet still plays when healthy for Barcelona. Yeah. You look at Antonio Rudiger, who is just a better center back. Yeah, unfortunately, he's going to Real Madrid for Barca fans. But that kind of defender, just like, again, that's an elite defender. That reminds me of Ronald Araujo, because Ronald Araujo, regardless of what Chris thinks he is, Ronald Araujo comes as, he is the best defender at Barcelona. He's one of the best, not even young, but he's one of the just best defenders in world football as far as being dribbled past. Rudiger, similar numbers, and Rudiger's a little bit better on the ball. And then the rising talent that Chelsea had in, in Trevor Chalaba, it reminds you of almost of Eric Garcia, where I know people, again, Barca fans think that Eric Garcia is 29 years old, but he's like 21 years old, just turned 21. And Chalaba was, what, 22? It's just a rising star, if you will. He, I know he's part of that lone army, that being Chalaba at the time, and, and then earned his spot. So I, I think the rotation for Barcelona next season very much mirrors what Chelsea had last year. And for Christensen, I mean, I would argue looking at his minutes from even this year that he was a regular starter under Tuchel playing 47% of all available EPL minutes, 83% of all Champions League minutes, 86% of Club World Cup minutes, and 35% of FA Cup minutes. And I think to me, that's what proper rotation looks like. I think for these, again, elite clubs like Chelsea is, like Barcelona is, 
you just find minutes for everybody. And especially if they're going to play three at the back, then all those numbers for Christensen are going to go up at Barcelona if they're going to play three back there, especially with Araujo's injury history, with Eric Garcia having, you know, we'll say lapses of defensive judgment at times that gets him out of the rotation for two or three games. And then PK being, I mean, he's not healthy now. He's not healthy during the preseason. He's just, he's not healthy and he's getting up to that age. So Christensen might be relied on more than he might even think. And looking at his advanced metrics too, I, I like how you said that, that he was smooth and unfussed was, was the word that you used that I really liked. And it seems like his expected assists fit right around there where he does deliver that pass before the pass, but not really a primary ball. But I, I think in, now we're talking about the different styles, right? Between Premier League and the Liga. In the Liga, as I talked about with, with Lang Lei, with actually a Tottenham podcast last week, that in the Premier League, Ling Lei is going to be surely just expected to defend, where teams don't really sit back in those slow, plotting, low blocks. In the Premier League, it's kind of more up and down, where in the Liga, Christensen, I think, is going to be able to have the time on the ball against the teams like, you know, Cadiz or Hadafe. He's going to have the time to have to break through that midfield line and deliver that ball that turns into the final, the, you know, the easy assist, the FIFA assist or, or what have you. But I, I want to talk about him as a defender. As well, because I think for Barcelona, the side of it that they really want to fix is just a defender that's going to be clean and that's going to be relied upon. But it worried me that seeing the Chelsea fan feedback, it seems like they said in big moments he would wilt or in big moments he wasn't available or right. Is that just seems like the same thing with Barcelona fans? If you look at former players, you're just going to find the vitriol because the only people typing things are those who have bad things to say. Well, in in the, the spectrum of how he left the club, uh, it was not anywhere near a, a Thibaut Courtois level of uh, disappointment that uh, left Chelsea supporters Sorry. felt like they were holding the bag. I mean, ultimately you get presented a contract, you have the option to take advantage of that contract or not. And you have to respect that every player only has a certain shelf life and where they go is completely up to them. And yes, was there a contract potentially agreed at some point? Sure. Does that make some Chelsea supporters feel, you know, angry or upset? Yeah, probably. But also, maybe you should have taken that care of that two years ago instead of leaving it down to the wire and letting them leave on a free. And that's, uh, that's also the prior administration. So we won't spend a lot of time talking about them when it comes to his performance in big games. And I, I like that your, your comment on just the differences between like the premier league and, you know, playing in Europe, I think, and I've always thought that if he went to another league, whether that was La Liga or Lyon, that he would ultimately be, a much better center back and take a step up because those leagues and where he has played for Chelsea well in the champions league, even, you know, coming in for an injured Thiago Silva in the champions league final against you know, Manchester city, he excels in Europe in a way that he maybe has never shined the same way in the premier league. And so I think that's something that, again, uh, I'm not trying to hype up your supporters. I'm not trying to get them overly excited. I'm just trying to be, take my observations of having watched him over multiple seasons. Now I've always been more walked away from a game more impressed by him when it was a, whether it was in the Europa league or whether it was in the champions league than I have in a Premier league game. And he can, and he did show a little bit more physicality in his game last season, but it's not a hallmark of his game. I'm not looking for him to be that. I'm looking for him to be secure with the ball. I'm looking for him to distribute well. I'm looking for him to cut out lanes and read the game extremely well. And to be a, you know, a more, I, I would kind of challenge, maybe say, I think he needs to be a more effective communicator. I think if, especially if he's going to play centrally, a better leader kind of within that back line, 
you know, he's received criticism from most of all the managers that he's played under for some of that mentality piece. Uh, there's, you know, a famous incident with Mauricio Sarri, who uh, some Chelsea supporters love, some Chelsea supporters not a fan of, where, you know, Christensen ran off because he talked about how he got tummy aches before games. And, you know, I want to make fun of someone's, you know, gastrointestinal issues, but there have been like this weird one-off moments where it's like, where did Christensen go? Why isn't he available now for a match? And, you know, it turns out that, you know, he just wasn't ready or wasn't available or wasn't kind of in, in the mood to play. And that's kind of just like a weird quibble that I think supporters would have. And so maybe that ties to some of the, does he show up in big games? I think he can, he did more so in Europe than he did in the Premier League. And maybe that's the kind of uh, right attitude to take looking at what's going to be coming ahead for him now in his new career at Barcelona. Well, that is, you said some things that don't worry me and something to do. Like one of the things that doesn't necessarily worry me is that when it comes to playing in the middle of that back three, I expect it to be Araujo being the most athletic and the one who's deepest. That's what Xavi did last season. I think he's going to do the same thing again, almost having Araujo in a, almost a sweeper role and having him kind of patrol that back behind even the other two more progressive passing center backs, which Christensen, I think, again, over Araujo would fit into that category. But I think the pressure is going to be the interesting thing about Christensen, right? Whether or not he succeeds or fails at Barcelona. Yes, Xavi is going to expect him to mentally be up to that. But if he's able to do that in these big moments with the brights lightest, I mean, uh, with the lights brightest, that's where Xavi, I think, is going to be expecting. And I think that's where Kula is going to expect him to be shining as well. But Barcelona has a, and this is, I mean, I think online is different than real life. And at the stadium in particular, they very much like online have a habit of putting you in a, we're going to cheer for you camp or we're not going to cheer for you camp. And I think it sounds to me that uh, for Christensen, hitting the ground running is going to be so important to him and his time at Barcelona, because if he can hit the ground running and just go in that camp where, hey, we're going to give you a little bit of a leash before we boo you, you're in good shape, as opposed to being in that immediate camp where he's one of those players at the camp that was already turned on five games in because he's made he, he gave up two penalties, right, to whoever it may be, right, Athletic Club and, and, uh, and Bialso Ciudad, whoever it may be. Where he projects might be established quite early, and that, that is a worrying sign for me. That he well, might have a hard time, you know, re, especially if he plays such a calm, balanced game. He's not going to do things that are going to get attention to kind of put him back in that positive light. Yeah, I, I mean, this is a player who's, uh, I, I don't think there's going to be penalty kicks given away because I think in general he's picked up like 15 cards in t- over 220 matches. And so he is generally a very uh, clean player. And even when he does throw maybe a little bit of extra salt or spice into a tackle, he usually is smooth enough to kind of get away with it. So, uh, I mean, how is it one on one defending? Like if he's, he's little- on an island, yeah. Yeah, his one-on-one defending is good. He he tends to make sure that his body is always positioned really well. His, his goal is always, how do I minimize the lane available for the next ball? Like, he doesn't have the best recovery speed, and so I think he's going to stand off a little further back to really assess, like, how do I how do I entrap this individual? How do I kind of lure them in and move them in a direction that's going to really make it difficult for them and allow the rest of the team or kind of the supporting elements to get caught up, get back up to speed so that, you know, really I'm not, I'm not in no man's land anymore. <laughs> well, I think this is why you're seeing Jules Kunde from Sevilla be linked to both Barcelona and Chelsea. Another one of those players that seems to be a, a two legged race at this point. There's probably other clubs out there as well, that Sevilla is willing to take 70, 80 million for Kunde on. 
And because Kunde is an upgrade no matter what to Christensen for both clubs, right? And that's why Barcelona, I think, is still trying to say, hey, you know, we're not totally done with those center backs because now you look at PK and you look at Garcia and Christensen, you have three, as you just mentioned, reactive center backs, ones who are reading the game. And if Barcelona is going to play a high line like Xavi wants to play, you've got trouble, right? When you've got Garcia and Christensen and you've got PK or Christensen, right? If you're picking a flat back four in that instance. So the other thing, as we're transitioning a bit away from Christensen, so again, I think that's the full wrap on uh, Andres Christensen. I think we're going to have to see who he profiles or who he winds up being at, at Barcelona. But as you said, you know, the play he was at Chelsea is very similar to what Barcelona is trying to get on a free transfer. And again, at that value, that being a free transfer, Christensen sounds like a good player, like a good high level player that adds depth and makes your team, makes your floor higher as opposed yeah. to raising your ceiling. He just lo- he raises the floor on a rotated team, which is what Barcelona truly needs because they just don't have the depth to to do Champions League and Copa del Rey and the Liga all at the same time or even more competition, super the Supercopa in, in the in the wintertime. Uh, but, okay, some other Chelsea defenders, because it seems like Xavi slash Barcelona just want to bring in the entire back line. And while Christensen, I, again, generally happy with on a free transfer, I'm a little more, let's say, pushy-backy on Marcos Alonso, all 31 years old, whose father played for Barca, but he, that being Alonso, started at Real Madrid. And then soon-to-be 33-year-old Cesar Azpilicueta. Of the two of them, I would ask, and I think I know the answer. I'm going to lead you with a little bit my opinion would be if I had to pick one, it'd be Asperquetta over Alonso, even though Jordi Alba has no backup, true backup, because the idea of Des being sold, I'd rather have Des as the backup left back and bring in Asperquetta to play right back or play in a three back four, then I would rather have just spending money on Marcos Alonso at all. So there's my opinion. I don't want to leave you with that. But of the two, who would you rather lose to Barcelona or, or, or both? Uh, and, and to that end, I mean, why is Barcelona want Christensen and Alonso and Asperquetta? Oh, maybe maybe uh, Zavi was just watching back on. Hey, all these guys were going to win a Champions League together, so maybe I'm just going to take all the ingredients and put them back in and see if I can recreate the same meal, uh, or at least part of them. Which, look, uh, other teams have done it before, so not a bad strategy for anybody to try. So I think if we had to lose one of the two, I would more likely expect that Marcus Alonso would be the individual to leave. I think he's been a very strong servant to the club. I think he has scored some beautiful goals against uh, Tottenham and other teams that have been uh, quite a joy to watch uh, as a Chelsea supporter. And you think about like, I think he's the highest scoring defender in the Premier League, like since he arrived, brilliant dead ball specialist. Uh, just don't let him take corners. His corners are absolutely awful. His, his speed is a little down and maybe kind of uh, over the past couple of seasons, but again, he's typically running the most out of any player on the pitch during a match. He does do the occasional boneheaded challenge. I mean, he gets a little, uh, you know, sees a little red occasionally at times. Not, you know, in terms of I think he's only had one red card at Chelsea, but like we'll see red and maybe make a kind of a rash challenge. But he has kind of survived multiple managers, multiple different styles. He's better in a back three. He's he's. As a left wing back, he's fantastic. Like I, I, I know that there's not a lot of Chelsea supporters probably at this point are like, I want to continue to see Marcus Alonso next season. I mean, especially if Ben Chilwell is back healthy. I think Ben Chilwell is just the the natural individual to go there. And we've got a couple of youngsters like uh, Dujon Sterling who might be able to kind of fill in there. We've both been looking at a couple other other players to kind of deputize in that area because uh, I think it's probably just the natural point 
to maybe make that kind of move. But I mean, last season, five goals and five assists, um, you know, lifetime for Chelsea, 29 goals and 19 assists as a defender, as a defender like that. Like, why wouldn't you want that in a team? That's all really good stuff. I don't know. I, I've never, me personally, I've never been over the moon or impressed by Marco, uh, Marcus Alonso. And to me at 31, that's a concern. Like, I think it's yeah. more Barcelona specific squad makeup. Again, like you're bringing a 31 year old to be Jordi Alba's backup. Alba, Alba is still better. He's going to still start all those games. And so you're going to have more, most likely you're going to have a disenfranchised 31 year old waiting for his opportunity at Barcelona. And now you've got, I mean, what, what does he solve in any long term, right? Like Alba, is your second highest acting at Barcelona, the second highest salary maker on the, on the team behind Sergio Busquets. So you're paying this left back all this money. And then to me, it's, it even comes down to the transfer. Like the number, this is one of those other instances where the number matters. If it's less than 5 million, sure. But if you're talking 20 million for both Alonso and Azbaqueta, I'm not sure about that. I just think Barcelona really needs to be just focused on their wings if they have money to spend at all, or they need to be worried about, I don't know how worried they should be about Lewandowski trying to bring him in, but if they're doing all this other business, it doesn't truly make sense to bring in both those players. I think for Azlequeta, again, that argument I see a lot better where he's a leader and I think he's a vocal leader. He's a guy who's been there before. And I think, you know, we talked a little bit about Christensen's mentality, that mentality from Christensen, just being another face in the crowd is not going to solve what seems to be Barca's European I don't know, whatever you want to call it, the mentality, the issue that they are having currently in, in, in Europe, you know, crashing. It wasn't a matter of finishing in the league table and being in the Europa League. It was a matter of crashing out of the Champions League the way they have in the last few seasons. And the expectations, just like Chelsea fans, the expectations of Barca fans is that they're in the semifinals of the Champions League. That is what they expect. And if not that, I mean, they're still going to be disappointed when that happens. But if not that, it seems like the Champions League campaign is a failure, especially getting kicked out of the group stage. Of course, that is a, a low that Barca had not seen in 20 years or 19 years. So as Laqueta, I could see the argument for Xavi to yeah. bring in I mean, Alonso Spanish as well, but to bring in a Spanish player who is a just a high level leader, that's what he does. He's a high level leader. He's slow, just like Christensen, just like Eric Garcia, just like PK. So he's not helping physically in that instance. But if he's able to add what Danny Alves added to the locker room, there might be a right number for Aspliqueta for me. But again, I can't see that number being anything beyond even five million or six or seven million. That doesn't make any sense. And his salary. This is Barcelona's other problem. Those salaries have to be low. They have to be within some kind of very, very reasonable structure. We're talking, again, $3 million a year. I mean, because if they're asking for six or seven or eight, the conversation obviously is blown up. But even if they're asking for four or five a year, you have to have a, you have to really take a second look at that. Yeah, I, I will say I think any club that gets Aspilicueta is, is lucky. You know, I think we have had a chance to witness him from the 2012 season forward after uh, he came from Ligon and, and Marseille to Chelsea on a seven million pound transfer is probably one of the best business best bits of business that the club has ever done in terms of bringing someone in who has been an Ironman, has, can play multiple positions, whether he was playing right wing, right wing back, left back at times, center back at a back three. Uh, he just has been able to do it all. And I think if you're looking for someone who I think the challenge is, is he probably still wants to start. He would like to kind of continue at that level. And I just don't think he's the first name on the team sheet at Chelsea anymore. I think he is rotational in terms of what he brings. I think Tuchel 
absolutely loves what he brings to the dressing room, what he brings. I mean, we all, if, if we don't remember that during the kind of club world cup where he kind of walks up and takes the ball, like he's going to take the penalty and no shock surprise, Kai Havertz completely took all the onus on him. And then was like, Oh, okay, actually I'm going to give it to the guy who's going to take it like this super smart captain level things that nobody else would think to do that. He has the now has the experience to execute upon. And so, yeah, I mean, if you get, if you get as I'm, I'm happy for you guys because you're going to be the beneficiary of uh, some really kind of talented and experienced leadership, which, uh, you know, is, is very, I think, hard to come by in the game. And I, I do think, you know, where his maybe speed has kind of taken a step back might find a little bit more favor, might find some more minutes in, in La Liga than he would in the Premier yeah. League this year. Yeah. I mean, and I, of course I do, Again, just question the ba- on the basis of a 33-year-old being brought in and likely pushing Sergio Des out, who's your other than Araujo and Garcia, again, your only young defender, if you will. So Barcelona just they they have a lack of young defenders that they're grooming for where the club will be in two to three years. And I think part of that calculus is the club just wants to recoup money and figure out in two to three years who do we buy for these positions, and we'll just worry yeah. about that then. Sell Sergio Des whatever for 20 million now. Yeah. So, all right. Last thing would be that meeting between Todd Boli and Laporta. And, you know, it's funny because while Barcelona does get a lot of global ribbing for their, we'll say their, their club structure, having Laporta say the things he does, having Barcelona one minute, they're in financial ruin. The other, they're going for Kunde and Lewandowski and Bernardo Silva at the same time. So I think there is, there's ribbing that Barcelona gets on a, on a global scale for Chelsea. I mean, losing your owner in the way you did in nothing but you know, I, I again, this is geopolitical stuff that that's smarter than me, but that one is pretty cut and dry. Like this guy is a does not belong here anymore. He does not belong in the Western world anymore, if you will. And then Tom Bowley, an American billionaire, comes in and is taking charge. And good, you know, good on Chelsea for that. So the meeting between Bowley and Laporta, I, I don't want to role play and say, you know, I'll be Laporta, you be Bowley, and, and we'll yeah. try to figure out what they were saying. But I could see a lot of names having come up, right? I can see Frankie de Young. Dembele, I could see them quickly, you know, joking about Rafinha for a second there. I could see them talking about Alonso, Azpilicueta, reviewing what happened with Christensen. Are there any names I'm even missing there, right? I could see them arguing about Koundé a little bit. I, I think this is, we've got this all wrong. I think Barcelona fans are probably upset. Like, why are Chelsea not withdrawing their bid for Rafinha? Chelsea's probably like, why is Barcelona, who doesn't have all their economic levers pulled, <laughs> in which the third or fifth lever they're going to find, uh, you know, somewhere built within their kind of, you know, their foundation um, and pull it. We, we need to be working together because like, it, look, let's just divide and conquer. Okay. Can we agree that like, we're going to have this, you're going to have this, we can reduce prices for each other as, you know, kind of global powers like that. That's really what should be happening here. That there should not be bad blood between these two clubs. Let's just figure out how we work together and make some concessions. Like, look, you guys get Rafinha. We'll take Dembele. You go after Kunde. Like, you know, put a little pressure on this team for us. Like, that, that's how this should work at this point. Yeah. There's no rules in international transfers. Like, we know tapping up happens all the time. We know that collusion totally happens. We know that it's possession, especially in Syria, there's a lot of just stupid transfers to make the books work for a year. Like, Barcelona, you know, Laporta and Bully should be really good friends to figure out how we help one another. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, Manchester City and Barcelona, they have a lot of that. It's not even synergy. It's that Man City has the ones, the architects of what built what Barcelona was 10 years ago, right? They have Soriano and, well, they had Soriano for a long time. And Padiristan, of course, runs everything there. And Guardiola, sure, has an influence on transfers and the like. So, yeah, I mean, with Man City, there's that. But then, you know, Manchester United and Barcelona don't have the best relationship. Real Madrid and Barcelona obviously will never make a transfer across enemy lines like that. And Chelsea has their enemies that they're not going to sell players to. or They're going to try to not sell players to. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would hope that there would be some kind of synergy. But again, at the end of the day, those are two clubs fighting for relevance, for prominence. And I think for Chelsea, you know, winning a Champions League in the last three years, it's just a major accomplishment. And now with a change of ownership and all that, Chelsea is kind of resetting you want to stay on top of that world power because Barcelona is that that faithful is that 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 uh, we'll say harrowing tale for Chelsea supporters that you very quickly have to have to pay your players that were part of those Champions League winning squads and then all of a sudden you're in trouble and that's what happened with Barcelona. I mean the guy here, Messi, and then believe it or not, you want to talk about synergy though. I still the older Chelsea fans respect to them. Above this, Messi is Iniesta's goal, a diagram of, of Iniesta's goal against Chelsea, mm-hmm. which is just a it's a core memory for Barcelona fans of of my generation in their you know in their thirties. And yeah, so I think there are a lot of Chelsea fans who rightfully still sour about that, which is great. And then in the same way that I, I think as Barcelona fans were still sour about the Drogba. We're still sour about uh, even that Jose Mourinho was in charge of, of Chelsea and all that. But uh, Dan, I've wasted enough of your time though. And I really appreciate the opportunity we had to talk about Christensen. And yeah, are there any questions for the Barcelona side of things? Because yeah, it really comes for uh, Usmane Dembele. I think at this point, Chelsea is one of the only clubs that he could possibly go to at this point. Well, I mean, look, if you're, if you're going to have one, take, take your one and let us have the other. I mean, I think we're <laughs> both, we're both playing this game of like, do we want to like who wants to go harder for each of these players? And I think both clubs would be happy with either one of them. So, like, yeah, let's just like like here's what we need to do. We we need to get a zoom back together, you and me. We need to get Boley on, we need to get Laporta on, and we can help solve this. We can be the mediators like we did today to walk through all of this. So I appreciate the opportunity to uh talk through this and try to bridge the divide right now that uh, social media would try to uh, take our two clubs apart from one another. I think it's about bringing it back together and asserting some, you know, geo dominance together. Well, yeah, as, as, as us men and T followers for both you and I, yeah, I know Laporta doesn't really listen to what I have to say, but it seems like this is the Bartomeu board, but I don't know. I felt like they were listening to Gino Dest. I was really pushing <laughs> on that one. And they 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 wound up uh, capturing from Bayern Munich. But which, again, Bayern Munich winds up being the, the snake in the grass, if you will, for most of the deals we even spoke about, about yeah. where they play in the world football transfer stuff. But anyway, uh, Dan, again, thanks so much. Uh, good luck to Chelsea in the Premier League. Uh, just not just don't bring it to the Champions League vibes if it's uh, the knockout against Barcelona. But again, that is a London is Blue podcast. So for those who are trying to get into the Premier League and they can handle watching Chelsea. Kool-Aid's out there. I give him a follow. Give London is Blue podcast a follow as well. And then for us, we're the Barcelona podcast on Twitter, Instagram. Look us up everywhere at Hilton D13 for me. And then Patreon, YouTube, all that different stuff. That's how you can follow us as well. And then our merch store is where I've got the merch here. I'm wearing the stuff as always. That is through the show notes links and we have the Teespring store as well. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Tonight's time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, the Barca.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.